everybody. This is Whiskey Web and Whatnot with myself, Robbie Wagner, and my co-host as always, Charles William Carpenter III, with our guest today, Charlie Gerard. Hey, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? It's very nice to be here. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to join us. Yeah, for those that don't know who you are, haven't seen you on Twitter, maybe just tell people real quick kind of, you know, who you are, what you've been up to. Sure. So at the moment, I'm a staff DX engineer at uh, Netlify, but most of the time, uh, I mean, on my on the side, at least, I love to build uh, experiences using JavaScript in weird ways. So at Netlify, I work on, on the Jamstack, and sometimes I'm able to kind of like mix my experiment with experimenting with the Jamstack as well. So yeah. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll get some more into to some of those things later, but Chuck always gets on me for not getting to the whiskey soon enough. So we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll start on that. <laughs> yeah. That's how we have good conversations. Also, I just yeah, want to yeah. point out that oftentimes, um, we have so many Robbies around me and on here. It's nice to have at least like, I know Charlie can be a derivative of Charles. So we have a similar yeah. name. <laughs> that's actually what, uh, we call my daughter. Uh, it's short for Charlie with her, but yeah, I'm fond of Charlie's. <laughs> all right so yeah we have uh is it balvini is that how you say it sure <laughs> all right nobody <laughs> seems to be the expert here i'm not an yeah, expert no. at scotches but i drink so yeah i just drink it i don't know how to say it but <laughs> yeah so today we we have the balvini caribbean cask 14 years so it basically just means finished in rum rum casks extra matured as it says since it's scotch, it's got a 100% malt mash bill, 86 proof. No. Yeah, 86 proof, 43%. I have no other information. <laughs> All right. Let's see. It smells oh, sweet. Oh, yeah, it does. It's kind of a syrupy feel on the tongue. I was encouraged by the side of the bottle that I would have a nose with toffee. <laughs> And fruits, and I, it probably influenced me in some way, but I, I definitely smell toffee. Yeah, I mean, I think you could write anything there, and I would smell it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> yeah, all around. I'm supposed to taste vanilla, sweet oak, which, okay, and fruitiness. I'm getting a little apricot. That's my fruit that I'm catching mm. out of this. I feel like on the nose, I get a little bit of... Like my fruit is almost like a strawberry fruit roll up. Mm. I don't know why, mm. but <laughs> is that because you had one today? No, <laughs> could be. I always say all these things are pretty arbitrary anyway. It's like tastes like whatever it tastes like to you. And we're trying to come up with words to match. It's like a match game amongst ourselves. I don't know if you have any differences, Charlie, that you smell or taste or. I'm very new to whiskey, so I actually don't even... Oh, yeah. I just... Yeah. <laughs> I need more practice. I'm not new to whiskey at all, and I'm still making it up, so don't worry about that. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. 100%. I don't feel bad then. <laughs> but yeah, this feels a, a little like a dessert to me. Not like overwhelmingly sweet, but it's light. It's easy to drink. Uh, I don't typically like scotches that much when they tend to be in the peaty or heavy smoky, like I don't like too much of those kinds of things. This doesn't really seem to have either, um, but a little burn and a little sweet. So it's good. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I think it's different than most scotches, or at least I haven't had a lot of scotches. You can probably count on two hands the number of scotches I've had, but 
I think this is very good to me because um, I don't typically like the super peaty, smoky scotches. So this is mm. pretty tasty, pretty middle of the road. I would say easy to drink. I don't know. I think it, I would give it maybe six tentacles. Mm. Oh, how do you rate that? Oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I need to know. <laughs> we have to explain our system, Robbie. Come. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's uh, so we do one to eight tentacles um, just because our octopus yeah. mascot thing. So, yeah, like a one is the worst thing ever and an eight is like, you know, a perfect whiskey. So, um, yeah, I think it's, you know, pretty high up there. Have you ever rated one? Like, is there one that's really, really bad? I think I did. Um, we had one that was like supposed to be like maple pancakes or something, but like, I don't know. It was really musty tasting with maple. It just, I didn't like it at all. Really bad. I immediately gave that bottle away. So I think I did that one. No one. Yeah, I don't know. I think I gave that one like a three. I think that's kind of the lowest I've gone. One would have to be like, I take a sip and just go, no, I can't drink it. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I didn't spit it out, but still I was like, no. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> For me, I'm going to, I think I'm going to go five. So it's is easy to drink. It's got some interesting flavor to it. Yeah. Again, scotch isn't always my favorite, but this is You know, I could easily like have this with someone. I just don't know if I'd like have two. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I think because scotches tend to be on the lower proof side and I like a little punch at the end. I want to feel it a little burn there. I'm like, oh, yes, I'm having alcohol. But <laughs> that just could be my drinking problem. Speaking again. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Charlie? Well, I mean, I don't really have much experience to be able to rate it. I wouldn't give it like a one because I actually like it. So it's like, I'm not like, ooh, but I wouldn't know what an eight would be. So I feel like I want to give it a six, but maybe I'm going to start there and then I'm going to try more and maybe I'll just have a better idea of how to rate them. Yeah. Well, you know, here's the thing. It's not permanent either. Like yeah. maybe this is the best one you've had so far. And so it is an eight right now. And then as you get experience, it kind of changes over time. And this is all pretty arbitrary anyway, but uh, we're just trying to like rate them as opposed to the stuff we've had thus far or yeah. maybe how much we'd come back to it or, you know, and that stuff changes too. I feel like I get older and stuff. I like five years ago, I was like, oh, what was I thinking? <laughs> um, it happens. Yeah. Yeah. So you tweeted earlier that, or not, I guess it was yesterday maybe. That you'd barely started the week and oh yeah, <laughs> you said, and that you already have exciting news and fun plans. Is this part of your fun plans, being on here? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I have a week of good things, and uh, I'm excited to chat. So that is part of it. Yes. Nice, nice. The really exciting thing is that I'm going to Alaska. That's I was definitely excited about that. Oh, nice. All right, that's cool. Yeah, some holidays. Yeah. Yes. So a lot of like outdoorsy like things. Yeah, I'm going to try. Um, I've been checking the Aurora forecast to see like the Northern Lights and I should be arriving on a day where it's like really active. So I'm hoping to see that when I get there, but I'm also like, it's still winter. So I think there's still a lot of snow on the road. So I'm supposed to do a road trip, but I'm open to changing my plans depending on how it is when I actually get there. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Gotta be flexible. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. I hear it snows some there, so. <laughs> cool. So it's really interesting. So you wrote a book about machine learning and JavaScript, which I didn't even know was a thing. So I found that very interesting oh, really? to like, yeah, no, I had no idea. So I've seen uh, you know, some of your JavaScript experiments. And so how did that come about, the book? 
So I had been experimenting with uh, TensorFlow.js for like a couple of years before I was asked to to write a book. So for me, I've been in that space for a while. So when I hear that people don't know about it, I it always throws me back. So like, yeah, like, you know what you're exposed to, but you forget that other people don't know. So yeah, I had been like building experiments and I had started looking into machine learning when TensorFlow was like just in Python. And that's why when they released TensorFlow.js, it was super exciting because all of a sudden, like I'm mostly a JavaScript dev, so I could give up the Python part. Uh, and it was like, there was less barrier to entry uh, in learning about machine learning. So yeah, I started looking into this and then I got asked to write a book and I was like, sure, why not? And uh, it was <laughs> definitely more work than I could have ever imagined, but it was a good experience. I don't think that's the type of stuff that you don't get to do all the time. And uh, now I know that if I ever do it again, I will have to be much more prepared. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So it's called Practical Machine Learning in JavaScript for anyone who is interested and wants to look it up. I mean, I think I'm going to actually pick it up because I'm really curious. I... We so often end up talking about the web output of things and frameworks and SaaS applications and all of that kind of stuff. Like, it's not always top of mind that this language is really, uh, you can do so much with it now. That's my favorite thing about it, because I feel like I spend my job like eight hours a day doing more practical things. So if I decide to do some coding on the side, then I want it to be a bit more fun or expose me to things I don't know or that I have never done before. And I really like when, you know, usually if you talk about creative coding, you have more languages like processing or things that are done in like C++. And I love when people work on libraries and frameworks that allow you to do that in JavaScript as well. So you get exposed to different ways of or different things that coding can do, but in the language that you already know. And I'm all for being able to explore without having to spend too much time on it. Because I mean, like, free time is limited. So yeah. Yeah, I can empathize. But uh, yeah, taking away the bar barrier to entry that is what you know in syntax, right? Like being able to experiment and go down a rabbit hole in a whole other way with it. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, that's why most of my projects, actually, I start with vanilla JavaScript. I never start with create React app or I never start with a new framework because I actually find it, it slows me down. So in general, I just have like a simple index.js file and then I, I focus on learning the new exciting thing that I'm interested in. Sometimes when I try to start with React and then I get in like web back hell, I'm just like, no, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me want to give up on the side project altogether. So it's a bit of a shame, but it depends on, you know, what you like. Some people are much more comfortable with React and they can start right away with that. But yeah. So how do you come up with like all these projects that you want to work on? Is it just random in your brain or like, is there, um, do you get the hardware and stuff first? Like you you have that brain sensor thing where you are like controlling the Chrome Dino game and stuff. Yeah. That, What's the process? It depends. I think it's um, a bit of both. I think I definitely add up on all of my ideas. Um, so every time that I build something, I start thinking about how I could tweak it to add another tool or another piece of hardware. So for the brain sensor, it didn't start with just that. It um, I started with like smaller pieces of hardware uh, like that were taking different inputs. So it was either an infrared camera for movement 
or um, sensors that were EMG sensors, I think for like muscle movement. And from there, I started exploring what was commercially available and what dev tooling was available with that as well. And by looking into this space, I realized that there's, you know, you can buy a brain sensor, but there's also open source ones that you can like make your own. It takes a lot more time as well, but it's, there's a lot, a lot, like a big world out there of things that you can do. And, and then if I get a, a piece of hardware, you, the idea, either I buy it after having the idea or either I buy the hardware and I'm like, what can I do with it? Because sometimes it, I'm not sure I can make it work when I, when I buy it. I mean, luckily if you make your, if you just buy a little component, it's not too expensive. So if in the end it doesn't work, you waste it maybe like $5. But usually I try to make it work and then I'm like, okay, so I have like a little template in JavaScript. Okay. I get input or I get output. And then I'm like, what do I want to do with it? Okay. I can, like, I think that was what I did when I built the project to play Street Fighter with body movement. It's like, okay, I have a sensor that has an accelerometer and gyroscope. So I know that it tracks movement, but then, okay, if I can track movement and it works, I get my data. What in the world do I do with movement? And this is where, you know, I build up on my ideas like that. And then I was like, oh my God, what if I play Street Fighter, but like in real life? And (laughs) I start from there. And once I got that, then I was like, okay, it works with a motion sensor, but what about a brain sensor? And every time I have an idea, I kind of tweak it to push it as far as I can or until I get bored and then I move on to another one. (laughs) But usually, yeah, it never comes up like I wake up and I have a great idea. It's, I wish it was like that, (laughs) but most of the time it's more an evolution of, ideas or inspiration that I find uh, online, like other people sharing their stuff and it generates an idea in my head. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. That makes me wonder, like, will all games eventually be, you just sit on the couch and use your brain and like, you don't have to do anything. But Technically you already do, but, but do we want to play like this? I think it's also a question of like, is it something that we would want to do to sit there and completely not move? But I'm thinking we kind of already do it when we sit in front of the keyboard. You don't move much. Right. At least we have some hand-eye coordination association there. If you remove that and just go right, it's hard to say. I think you could have a mix. So maybe there are some things that could be taken from brain input, uh, how you're feeling, for example. Like if you're stressed, then maybe the game either like comes down or even like there's more intensity or something, or if you get scared or, you know, maybe you could get that input that you wouldn't get from a joystick. So instead of replacing, I think it could be augmenting, but people are probably looking at doing things like that, but it's like mixing a brain sensor plus already like a VR headset or something. So yes. it's a lot of things to wear. <laughs> so <laughs> Right. <laughs> Just integrate it in. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I can definitely see that like enhancing a VR experience, taking in some like brain sensor things. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of stuff I hadn't really considered. Yeah. A whole other world that that's out there. I mean, there's battery life problems, but they already started fixing that with, with VR. Like the Oculus Quest is like, you don't have any wire, but... I'm sure people are doing some research. I think it's not really out there yet. But every time that I've been talking about brain sensor stuff, it's the first question that people ask me, like, what about gaming? And I'm like, yeah, I wonder what other applications there would be. But then we, yeah, we go into questions of like, it can be uncomfortable to wear it. And the problem doesn't even 
become like the tech anymore, but it's more of a people problem. <laughs> right. I think the gaming is just basically like a great sandbox that's low risk. Mm. And we can do things there if this becomes like a medical thing. Well, the, you know, the risk is a lot higher. So you better have like yeah. tested a lot over somewhere else and the devices you use are different as well the ones that you can buy online definitely not the ones i mean i hope they're not the ones used in like hospitals and stuff because <laughs> they're a lot less reliable so mm, yeah this whole interesting commercial space so you're like going on going out like beyond like arduino kind of stuff like those kinds of sensors yeah i do both okay i do both because sometimes i'm interested in more like if i make my own then i also don't have to rely on an api built by somebody else i can do make, like make the own hardware and make the own um, software as well. And at some point I was even considering making my own boards like from scratch, hmm. but that's like a step that I'm less uh, familiar with. I know it's, it's possible. I've, I've seen, you know, people do it, but it, sometimes there are components you can buy and mix with an Arduino that are things that are not actually commercially available. So you can like, yeah, make your own, make your own stuff. I'm a big fan of having own, not, not, uh, yeah ownership of what you're building so that your data doesn't get given to somebody else. So right. when you build your own stuff, you keep everything. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I gave up and got all Amazon devices, but I was for a little <laughs> while trying to do home automation with open source and was like, yeah, this is great. But then like when you're constantly maintaining it, it also became kind of a hindrance. But I, And yeah. there's times where if you want to make your own uh, Amazon Echo or something, in the end, you you still have to subscribe to a service that does the machine learning for you. I mean, you can try to build your own model, but you need so much data. So at some, at some point, you have to either yeah give up or yeah just pay Amazon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we all pay Amazon. <laughs> as soon as I got um, global entry and gave my fingerprints to the government, is it really pretty much over <laughs> for me? Yeah, probably. Yes, I'm laughing, but it's so sad. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So it's interesting because this is like, I think, quite a step different from what I would imagine your day to day is with Netlify and the Jamstack and, and all of that. Definitely. So I guess we could talk a little bit more about what you do there and what is a Google uh, developer expert. I found that very interesting, too. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear more about what that is. Sure. At uh, Netlify, so we have a, a platform that you can deploy your sites and, and manage a lot of things without it being as horrible as AWS, for example. <laughs> uh, but it's like an easier way to to manage your... I hope you don't work. Yeah, no, you don't work at AWS. No. <laughs> yep, exactly. I've used it some. I know it's horrible. It's fine. Yeah, it, they could do better in terms of UI. But um, yeah, so as a developer uh, advocate, my role is to... I look at a lot of different ways that people could use Netlify and provide them, provide people with resources so that our our platform feels like easier to use. So for example, if you wanted to deploy Remix site to Netlify, then um, my role would be to provide either like code samples or tutorials or being part of answering questions from the community, like being the bridge between the developer community and our product team to provide ways to make it easier for you to integrate with our platform. So it's having both a product mindset and more of like being turned like outwards towards the community to know, okay, what is the next thing that I think people are going to want to do? And even look, me as a developer looking at our platform and being like, well, if I didn't understand how to use it, there's no way our 
customers are going to know how to use this. So it's like a mix of advocacy on behalf of Netlify, but also also an advocate for users towards like my the team and being like, well, I think people are going to want this. Can we build something to help? So it's an interesting role. It's a mix of engineering and with a bit more um, communication as well. And for the Google developer expert, I've been a lot less active for the past couple of years because of the because of the pandemic I had less like engagement but it's a group supported by Google of uh, non-Google engineers so it's people from the community who are kind of sponsored by Google for um, events or, or resources so to get into this group there's like a mini interview where you have to explain like show what you've done for the community before. So if you've provided learning resources, if you've spoken at conferences and things like that, and then what you you enter this group of like-minded people who want to share their interest in like the the web as a platform as a whole. No, no. I mean, there are different fields, let's say in that program. So I'm like more in the web technologies expert, but there's, there's a thing for Angular or for Android and there's different specialties. And what you get is a community of people that share resources. We get a preview of new things that are going to be launched in Chrome or new things that Google engineers are going to are going to release so that we can get ready to kind of share the message in the community afterwards. And before, when there was conferences like in person, uh, you could get sponsor from Google to just pay for the flights and hotel if the conference couldn't pay for it. So you don't have to pay to advocate. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that gives you that. It gives you access to some new features that are going to be available soon. So you know in advance and you can share in the community what you know. Once it's released, you're not allowed to share before. But <laughs> right. yeah, it's a, it's a group of uh, people you can ask questions to as well. So it's kind of like a community, but it's a bit closed off just because you have to go through an interview to get there. It's yeah. You have to be referred by an expert to go there. So if you know an expert and you're interested, you ask them and then you have a couple of chats and then they decide if yes or no, you're in. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Yeah, it's like unofficial evangelist in a way. Yeah. Yeah. But then you're also an internal community. So it's like both bi-directional. Okay. Well, there we go. Today I learned something. Hopefully someone else (laughs) listens to this also learns things. It's very interesting. Yeah. So you, there was like a slight uh, trigger word there for me that I've been hearing about and thinking a lot about lately. And it's like, you mentioned Remix specifically, and I've started to mentally align Remix with Netlify. And of course, for sale, they really? have Next.js. Yeah. Okay. So we had Kent C. Dodds on uh, a few weeks ago or so, and he's uh, now formally involved with and has been involved with Remix for a little while. And it seems that like resources to simplify things for Remix within Netlify are occurring a lot. Vercel is making a bunch of moves. They are obviously continuing with Next.js and their platform is very, mm-hmm. you can do other things there too, but like obviously very geared towards Next.js. And then Remix released that article recently, like comparing the two and sort of saying like, we are so a lot better and here's why. But they're just kind of challenging one another. So I don't know. I just, I don't know if there's anything for us to talk about there specifically, but maybe like, do you find that like, People who are working on Remix applications are driven towards Netlify. Is Netlify making Remix applications easier for people? I actually don't know. I think I mentioned Remix because I haven't looked into it yet. <laughs> <So> <laughs> maybe it's like, I did it on my to-do list that's like top of mind. 
I think for for Netlify, the the point is ju- is always just to be like framework agnostic. And I know that we are talking uh, internally about Remix because we know that there's interest in the community. So we're thinking about okay, how can we help people get started uh, with Netlify? I don't have more details because I haven't tried it myself. I mean, I I was on, on a call with Ryan Florence about Remix, so I I saw um, like a little bit of a preview. But I haven't then I had the time to to look into it myself. So I didn't even know that there were comparing Purcell or Netlify. Uh, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, for us, it's more if people are going to use Remix, then obviously we want to be the platform that people deploy their their site on. So it's always as a DX engineer, my role is is to be looking at what people are using. So, you know, I could have said Astro as well. Uh, Astro is something that we're looking at um, as well, or at least we were looking at a, a lot a few months ago. So it changes as trends change. And they seem to be changing so quickly. Yeah, it's uh, hard to keep up. I think even even in engineering, like when I was working in, in product, it was already hard to know, okay, should we upgrade the tool we're using to this because it seems better? And But now in DX engineering, it's even worse because it's like every few weeks, there's a new one. <laughs> it's just like, I can't cover everything, but it's the point you're supposed to be. If we want to be a platform agnostic at Netlify, we have to be covering everything. And yeah, that's intense. <laughs> I can't wait to ask you about our Redwood JS application if we make one. <laughs> It's been around for a while, no? I remember hearing about Redwood a few years ago. That was on yeah. my to list, but then it's just... <laughs> Same. It got really hot and a lot of exposure, I would say, probably like two years ago. But I mean, they've been working towards 1.0. So I think that's why it's sort of bubbling up again. They're like trying to get mm. into 1.0. And their use case is all about the app, web app for startups. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. They're like, because uh, authentication is built in and... Some other stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a market there. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much. <laughs> uh, DX. Yeah. And that's another thing that I feel like has really solidified and become important in the last year to two years is like this focus and effort around DX and backstage as like big corporation developer portal and DX as a whole, like finding ways to make things less painful yeah which is interesting yeah i've seen yeah more talk about it recently or during the the pandemic i think it's a role that people are getting more interested in but i think it's a role that sometimes i feel has a different definition between different companies so even sometimes i'm a bit confused about what people mean or want you have a part of sometimes people see it more as just advocacy in terms of just creating content. And some people are like a mix of both. And sometimes you can be, it's more like internal tools. It's, it, it really depends on, on the company. Uh, for me personally, it's been a mix of both. And that's what I like. It's a mix of improving our tools or features that we're launching and as well as then finding a way to communicate about it in a friendly way. But definitely I think I realize more and more the need for it when sometimes I check a tool I want to try, like an API or something, and there's very poor documentation, or I don't understand how to even use it, or there's no examples. And then I realize, well, so maybe they built a cool product, but there's no way for me to know because I don't know how to use it. So there's definitely, it's a growing thing 
maybe it's because as startups want to ship very fast, then maybe they don't take the time to actually polish it. And then it's like, oh, the need for advocacy to kind of like fix this. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think it's contextual in that way, right? So for Netlify, you need DX because your customers are developers. And so that experience obviously uh, is highly important for your customers to be able to utilize your tool effectively and consistently mm-hmm. regardless throughout like the entire life cycle of their project products. I think like big companies have DX and that some of it has to do with like onboarding and new engineers mm-hmm. productivity, and then the ability to ship and the ability to clearly understand business objectives too. So yeah, it's kind of like, I feel like in a way it's like modern day DevOps because DevOps is applied differently every single place you go to. <laughs> Yep. So we're, we're making rolls up as we go in the industry. Totally. Uh, I mean, I'm fine with that. As long as I love what I do, I don't really care how it's called. Yeah. But it's difficult when a role means different things in different companies. Because then, you know, if I talk about my experience and then somebody thinks they're interested in, in being a DX engineer, but they go to a company that doesn't do it the same way, then it's like a weird thing. So, yeah, it's been interesting. I blame HR. always yes because they're defining things so you know subjectively and the thing is if we don't know they don't know neither so (laughs) that's true yeah because you're like figuring it out as these things are being developed and it's like oh well this is the thing that works for us yeah good luck yeah here it is you have to start the dx foundation (laughs) (laughs) all right your next project another role i've been thinking about so at Netlify, we have a person who's in charge of more community, so our Discord channel. So, and I was thinking, so is the role community engineer now also a thing? Because it's a bit separate from DX. And I've seen more companies talk about like their Discord channel, and it looks like it's a separate role. So maybe now there's also something called community engineer that's going to grow as well. And it's interesting because that definitely wasn't there a few I mean, even at the beginning of the pandemic, I had never heard of a community engineer. So it's interesting how there's new roles and maybe we get to shape what it is, which is kind of like a nice thing as well. Yeah, I think everyone got super burned out in the pandemic and you got an opportunity to learn new stuff. And you're like, I don't want to go to this community that doesn't have someone managing it and has terrible documentation. Like everyone's (laughs) had to step up on all sides of that for sure. Yeah. Opportunities to define your role. I mean, I think that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we started this conversation and I'd never heard of community engineer. And <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe I just made it up, right? So <laughs> you did, maybe. But I think it's valid. I think that, um, I mean, especially like the number of people entering the field is growing and growing. The demand is continuing to grow. Like none of this is changing or going away. So, like, the opportunities lie in, in support and tools for engineering across the board. Yeah. Fun facts. (laughs) I went through a lot of your tweets and just wrote follow-up questions. Oh, no. Because there are lots (laughs) of cool things you're doing. Um, But, like, I guess to start, I saw you were learning calculus. Oh, yes. I I was. (laughs) What was that for? And (laughs) I haven't actually told many people. It's because I am going to start a bachelor's of computer science. Oh, nice. And to get enrolled in, I needed some credits. Um, so I took calculus. Okay. <laughs> it's a bit random. There's a reason why I'm taking it. I, don't, I know that there's always these 
threads on Twitter about you don't need a degree and I'm not doing it for my current job. I'm doing it for my potential future career. Uh, that will maybe require me to have a degree. So I'd rather just do it now. <laughs> so, nice. Yeah. Fair enough. Good for you. Yeah. I think you had said you couldn't use like, you couldn't write stuff down. Yes. How did that work? Like you can only write down the answer, none of the work or something? Yeah, because it's when you do it remotely, it's like a proctored exam. Um, you have to show in your camera. I was in this room and I had couldn't have anything on my desk, on the walls, like no pen, no paper, anything. So when I was doing the, um, the exam online, there was no paper to like draft any ideas. So I had to look at the question and just like, visualize it in my head honestly i was like i can't believe they didn't tell me that i could have at least i could have shown the piece of paper but it was like not no paper (laughs) so that was definitely one of the hardest exam that i did but it was also fun in a weird way as long as i passed i'm fine (laughs) (laughs) if i'd I'd failed i would have been like this is bullshit (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah. yeah Yeah, I failed a lot of calculus and differential equations and various math exams with lots of paper and writing. So doing it all in my head sounds really hard. <laughs> yeah, but it was weirdly, I liked it. I remember in high school that I started hating math because the teacher wasn't really great. She, I don't think she actually wanted to be a teacher. And then looking back into it now, I actually thought it was really interesting. because I can't believe everything I missed out on just because wrong teaching. Mm. But yeah. Better late than never though. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So I saw that you had gotten at least one new plant sometime recently. Are you big into (laughs) plants or was that just a one-off thing? Well, I wanted to be more into plants during the pandemic, like joining the plant trend, but I didn't have like a long-term house. Uh, I was more in like a yeah, Airbnb stuff. So I couldn't really buy plants. So now that I have a more permanent place, I'm I'm buying more plants. But every time I try, they can't I let them die. So mm, <laughs> I'm okay. trying. It's not dead yet. It's still it's growing well. So I'm doing better than I did before. <laughs> nice. I was to say my follow up was going to be for some tips because I do have one plant that's five years old that has like Ooh. I think it's just very strong. Yes, I like drug it cross country like lots of things well because so they gave it to me at the hospital when my son was born so i'm very intent on keeping it alive i in fact call it the aiden plant but you know it does better sometimes than other times um but it it, it keeps going and we've had a couple of other plants though that don't fare so well so i'm always like why what i don't know you read some basic books and it's like yeah it's usually one two three things you know you check do you change they'll be fine they don't get fine and i'm like what has happened <laughs> i want more of these but not to kill so yeah, yeah. maybe we need dx help in getting plants to grow <laughs> px they're not documented yeah. well enough <laughs> plant experience my plant experience is fairly poor it's uh, about a 20% success rate. I've had to watch uh, YouTube videos. So, you know, I think I'm going to be yeah. doing that. I'm going to watch YouTube videos on how to keep your plants alive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. Uh, do you have any other hobbies outside of building things, uh, hardware things and experiments and then you know, m- mediocre planting? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I usually go, I mean, I like to go hiking, but the weather in Seattle has not been super great since I uh, since I arrived here, but that's why I'm hoping that in Alaska, uh, if the weather's nice, I'm gonna do like lots of hiking. I've gotten back into reading books 
I've found it very hard to sit down and focus on reading a book. So usually what I try is to get into audiobooks mm. because I feel like I need to do an activity while I'm reading, which is, I don't know, it's like maybe this like attention span thing. So in audiobooks, I've been doing well, but I'm trying to get back into just like sitting down and reading a book, which sounds silly, but I actually found it, I find it hard. It's like my mind is always like, oh, I need to do this. I need to do this. So I'm like trying to get better organized so I can properly read a book. <laughs> so, I empathize. Yeah. I used to read a lot and I'm very time constrained anymore. And so I keep buying books and creating a list and adding some artificial pressure, but I'm not giving myself 30 minutes to do that. And you, I agree. It sounds easy. Like, oh, if it just did 30 minutes every single day, that would amount to something over time, right? For some reason, you always find like, oh, but I could do this mm -hmm. in this 30 minutes. And it's, and in the end, it's like, what's the most real, what's the best use of my time? Like, because if I don't read the thing I'm going to do in the, I mean, it's really easy to be like, I could watch Netflix. And it's just that, right. <laughs> it's that in the end, it might be more of a waste of time than, than finishing a book. Yeah. But I'm tired at night. So then, and I want to watch Boba Fett or <laughs> Peacemaker or The Witcher or one of yeah. the other random shows I watch. So it's how much space, like mental energy you have. I find that it's, it, it makes me more exhausted to read a book because I want to read it properly. Whereas sitting on my couch and watching Netflix definitely does not require <laughs> much, exactly. much uh, mental energy, especially with what I watch. So <laughs> it's like reality TV is like not hard. Um, so, oh, okay. Yeah. So what you're saying <laughs> is it's worse than the ones that I already mentioned. <laughs> 90 day fiance. Um, but that was great though. <laughs> <laughs> nope. That was a trap. That was a trap I just set for you and it worked. Yeah. No, it's just, I used to get caught up in like watching other people have a life really i think during the pandemic i watched a lot of that and i think i realized i think all i'm watching is other people having a life while i can't have one <laughs> i really i think there was a definitely a pattern in what i was watching i watch it less now but yeah there was definitely a lot of that yeah it's very introspective i haven't given myself that i'm not sure <laughs> why I, i've been choosing a lot of fantasy shows lately so it could be something yeah to escape yeah yeah yeah, yeah. What all the weird stuff have I tweeted? <laughs> I was being like, oh my God, what are you going to dig up? But I don't think I tweeted weird stuff. <laughs> no, not, nothing weird necessarily. Um, okay. You definitely tweet several things that I like want to buy. Huh. I saw the tweet about the analog pocket, like the Game Boy remake thing. Yeah, yeah, but then I think I heard uh, horrible stuff about the company, but after I bought it, so I was like, damn. <laughs> but oh, too late, like well. I pre-ordered it, I spent the money. So yeah, I pre-ordered two. You did? <laughs> yeah. So I did as well. But then I, I, I think the email I got about the date it will be delivered is like next year or the year after. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, well, that wasn't the deal when that wasn't what was written on the site. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's that one day I'll receive a package. and I'm like, what's that? And it'll be like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really loved playing Game Boy like growing up. So I, I bought two thinking. I'm going to be having a son here soon. So like when he's born, like maybe when he's into that, like we could yeah. link up and play or whatever. So I thought that would be cool. Yeah. But yeah, I haven't heard what like the bad stuff about the company. I guess maybe I should look into that. <laughs> I forgot what it is, but, but I think there was some 
drama around there as well. Mm. And I was like, oh, damn it. Could have said that before. Or like, can people just not be evil? So then I, I could just buy <laughs> stuff without feeling bad. <laughs> yeah. No, no, not really. No chance. No. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to capitalism. Yeah. But they keep deferring the release of that, right? Too Hasn't that been pushed some? I don't know. It's that stuff with like products that seem shiny and you're interested and they say, oh, you'll receive it in like six months and then you buy. And it's actually no in two years. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Six months, give or take. (laughs) Six month increments will let you know what's going on. Yeah. You can't get anything quick right now. Like everything is on a boat in the middle of the ocean or something. You can't get anything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I don't actually know the games that they're releasing with it. So I bought it because it was pretty. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm like, wait, actually, why am I going to be able to play with it? I still don't know. <laughs> so <laughs> another four years until I get games. Yeah, I'm going to try to find a bunch of old Game Boy games and just buy those, I think. I don't know what new might come out, but I know what Game Boy games I used to like. So just look for those somewhere. Pokemon. No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love Pokemon. That was fun. Vintage gaming is like such a thing now, though. My brother has like a side business buying up old consoles and games from like thrift stores and then reselling them on eBay. Yeah, that would definitely make a lot of money. Yeah, he's definitely a thousand there. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that might have been all of the tweets. Let me think here. Yeah, I don't tweet that much. Well, a lot more than than some people, but... <laughs> More than me, less than Robbie? No, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Are there any other like developers or projects you're you're following or interested in right now? Well, I know it's controversial, but I've been trying to educate myself in the whole Web3 stuff, but I have no real opinion because I don't know enough. So maybe, I don't know if we want to go into this because <laughs> it's like, it seems to be so on fire everywhere. That it's hard to, you know, if you just want to learn, it's hard to um, to be able to find to find that. So I've just been trying to educate myself so I can have my own opinion. Yeah. But it's very early on, so I don't actually, I still don't actually have a, an opinion on it. But I'm looking at it because is that is it going to be something, I'm, as a DX engineer, is it going to be something I'm going to have to understand or not? But I guess it's like every new JavaScript framework. I look at it and then I decide. But when it comes to that topic, it's more like sometimes it feels like the first time I learned programming, it's kind of like, well, where do I look at? Mm -hmm. What can I do? What does it do? Because I think as a technology, if you just look at the tech, there's probably things to learn. The issue is always how people use it. So I've been looking a bit into that. And otherwise, there was a bit of, uh, I I think at some point, a lot of people were talking about Rust still Mm -hmm. so i've been trying to look into that a bit because you can build web applications in in rust so you know as you know in the Jamstack, i was like okay is it something that we can do but it's always stuff that i add to my to-do list and then i have actual netlify stuff to do and it's like (laughs) this back and forth between things i want to learn and things i have to do so yeah there's always so much going on yeah but what about you actually is there something that you that spikes your interest at the moment. I mean, we have the same problem of like not having enough time to learn the new shiny things, but we have opinions on Web3 and NFTs and all the stuff. We're super uneducated in like how they actually yeah. work or how to implement it, but yeah, we've talked a lot about it, even though we yeah. don't really know how it works. <laughs> yeah. 
I think there's a burgeoning potential. I think it's applied in a lot of different ways. I think that there's a bunch of ways it's going to get applied that we haven't thought of or talked about yet that maybe someone else is thinking about and experimenting with. And so I think it behooves us to learn more about it. Some people have strong opinions about the negative implementations Mm -hmm. occurring and some of the downsides, but I think it would be naive to completely write it off. I think it's like everything. Yeah. Yeah. And so I find it in that respect very interesting. And I think there's potential opportunities to do some cool and legitimate things within those spaces. So why not learn more about that, become educated to have a better conversation there? Yeah. I think at some point, I don't know exactly, but I think I heard that in Australia or something, there was some stuff where people could own a part of the power grid and you could like pay less in bills because the energy would then be like redistributed or whatever. And well, that I might be completely wrong. And I just like heard about it for like five seconds, but it made me thought about, made me think about ways outside of the NFT stuff, like how can it be used for actually like good stuff? Uh, You know, it's like when I've been looking in machine learning, a lot of people are kind of against machine learning because of the wrong things that you can do with it. And unfortunately, I think a lot of the times with computer vision, what is done is not so great, like surveillance in cities and whatever. But I still wanted to learn about the technology for what it could build and experimenting with it. Um, And I think that with Web3, I would want to do the same. It's like, okay, I know that people will always do horrible things when they can, but there's also people who are interested in what it can actually, like where it can actually help. And that's where I want to Again, like educate myself before I have an opinion. I don't really want to have an opinion if I don't know what I'm talking about. So I'm like observing and, and trying to trying to learn. But if there is good things that can be done, then I'd want to know what they are. And I feel like we don't really, I don't find many resources talking about that. So I'm still like, mm-hmm. okay, what does it mean? Like decentralized and, and the blockchain, like what could I actually build on this? I'm still very... It's still very blurry to me because all mm-hmm. people talk about is NFTs. So it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, I get it. But like the other thing, like what can I actually build? Why would I want to build it with this? I think it's more, yeah. Yeah. Regressing like a couple of steps up and not saying like an output is an NFT, but what is the underlying technologies and what, yeah. How does blockchain work? And then how can I apply that? Yeah. Yeah. Smart contracts. Essentially, I guess you have to learn to write write and understand smart contracts. Yeah. That's as much as I think I know. But when I've been reading articles, there's like so many terms that are very specifically for this way of building things that I'm just, I mean, honestly, I do think that this space needs a lot of DX. <laughs> like mm-hmm. When I've been oh, like, yes. I'm like a senior engineer and, and I read this stuff and this, it almost looks like you're in a marketing meeting where they, you saw the acronyms and you're supposed to know what it's about. And I'm just like, whoa, I'm new to this space. And there's this talk about like, it's for everybody. Well, then maybe start with explaining what that means, because that's obviously not for everybody. So it's, I think it's also one of my, it was one of my like motivation when I thought maybe I should look into this. It's kind of like, well, as somebody who's, I'm never fangirling anything. I'm always quite neutral. So if I can learn and then maybe create resources that are more neutral than like, I'm I'm never going, I'm never going to be the person who's be like, you should use this tool. It's, I'm more like, use it if you want to. <laughs> That's why I, never, I don't have my own business because <laughs> like, you don't like my products? Well, whatever. <laughs> That's all right. 
<laughs> Use this or not. That's a great tagline. What do you mean? It's fine. No worries. <laughs> so, yeah. It costs something or it doesn't. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Want it for free? Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm terrible at this, but I wish there was more of that neutral voice and less acronyms. But, you know, we have our own terms in, in normal programming as well. So it's an interesting space it's like it's for everybody but first you have to learn what all of this means <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and the, and, the, and assuming that whatever is the what right way which isn't necessarily true it's just the way they've been able to do it thus far yeah right? and all of that all of those paths are being tread yeah we do that in in programming as well best practices but like for who <laughs> best <laughs> practices for you but yeah it's it's funny we i mean we all talk like that yeah yeah it's just someone else's opinion yeah. The cloud is someone else's computer. <laughs> yeah. I'm just waiting for someone to like, you know, whenever the first iterations of things come out, they're usually not the best. So I'm waiting for the second round of Web3 when like there's easy to use documentation and frameworks and cool things you can do. And that's when I'll get in. I don't need the headache of learning it all backwards and forwards right now. Yeah. I hope that people looking into it are asking themselves the right question as well. It's like the whole Jurassic Park thing. You know, it's not because that you could, that you should. <laughs> but it's, yeah, I'm hoping that people who are heavily involved in that space think about the impact that it has like at a broader level. And if you know that how it can be used for bad, then how do you put in place the the right stuff so that it doesn't get used for bad? But it's, I feel like it's like that for everything. It's like personal responsibility as well, but right. yeah, it's interesting to watch. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. There's stuff that's happened that I have like, would have never thought of like people make an NFT. That's like an SVG that has like JavaScript code in it that executes when you like oh. pull it down and then like you're screwed. <laughs> like, mm. So yeah. But that's also fascinating because I think yeah. more on the engineer, again, you know, it's again like looking at the tech rather than how it's, it's used. If I just as an engineer, thinking about like, oh, that's smart. Like I, I would love to know how to actually do that. But for me as a person, I wouldn't do it in a malicious way, but it's like, oh, I would love to know, like, what can you do uh, with hiding some executable code in SVG? And it's, yeah, hmm. it's kind of like a hacker mindset, but like ethical hacking, actually, basically. Yes. I'm more on that side. And that's why I always love educating myself about the, the tech itself rather than going into the hype of, of how it's used but yeah yeah i think that would be a fun this may already exist but like events where they kind of teach you stuff like that and you just learn how to hack stuff like you know i mean obviously they wouldn't want to teach you stuff that's super dangerous but cool little things like that would would be fun to learn i mean if you learn i've had like ethical hiking on my to-do list for like five years <laughs> but it's like again it's yeah but i think if you start learning ethical hacking you're given the tools to do bad stuff but you're you use your own responsibility like not not to do it there are things you can do with what you learn that you could go to jail for but then it's like your own responsibility you're not supposed to do that and i feel like yeah that could be definitely something as well it's like here's the the knowledge and then it's your responsibility to decide how you use it I usually learn that way, yeah. And you're creating things knowing what the vulnerabilities are. Yeah. And so you're smarter maybe about some of those decisions. 
we probably would be building better even web apps, like normal Jamstack web apps. If if people knew how to hack them, I think they would probably build better security. Like I, to me, honestly, I don't know that much about web security. So, I mean, I probably build stuff that were very vulnerable and I have no idea because I didn't look into it. So I think that's why, you know, I'm, I'm getting back into ethical hacking and learning about networks and stuff just because it's like, well, I can't protect myself if I don't know how it actually works. And I can't, <laughs> I can't rely on my internet provider to have built something robust because they, I mean, they're like any other company they just need to ship. Right. So yeah. I think when I started looking into IOT, there was a lot of that where it's like, oh, a lot of new devices on the market. And then they actually didn't make the security of it really good because again, they just wanted a product to be shipped and bought, like they just wanted to make money. So you had a lot of breaches from IoT devices, which is bad because if you have a camera at home, like I don't want people to be able to like watch what's going on in my house. And so it's learning how to build a thing, but also learning how to break it is nice, but so much to learn its priorities. (laughs) Yeah, that's like with anything in life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was definitely a lot of stuff that wasn't done well. Like I I forget exactly what it was, but didn't like PlayStation have like the root password for every PlayStation was like one, two, three, four or something. <laughs> so they their entire network was compromised in like a second. <laughs> Amazing. Like I how many people still have a password password? You know? Yeah. Sometimes I'm thinking I think about it as an engineer, but the majority of the population is not an engineer. And I think a lot of people don't know that having one, two, three, four, five is not secure. Um, <laughs> I'm sure that there's still a lot of people who who don't know. And it's about educating like people outside of, of tech as well, or, or just actually just building products that are, I mean, just building products that are robust enough so people don't have to care. But um, it's, yeah, the whole thing about like when you have to ship fast, you're cutting corners that you shouldn't cut, but everybody does it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're about at time here. Um, Is there anything we didn't cover? Like anything you'd like to plug, anything you're working on, causes you care about, anything you want to mention? Uh, On the spot right now. I'm not. not, You don't have to. (laughs) Yeah. Or nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Okay. (laughs) Save a plant, buyaplant.org. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I don't know if that's a thing. (laughs) All right. All right. Thanks again for coming on. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you liked it, please subscribe, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Whiskey Web and Whatnot. This podcast is brought to you by ShipShape and produced by Podcast Royale. If you like this episode, consider sharing it with a friend or two and leave us a rating, maybe a review, as long as it's good. You can subscribe to future episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more info about ShipShape and this show, check out our website at shipshape.io.